Okay, so Proverbs 21, 31. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. I, I love preparing well. The team here at the church probably describes how much I tend to over-prepare. And I'm like, here's all the contingency that we need to be aware of, particularly like the Harvest Festival when we're outside and all these different things. Right now I'm packing for Alaska, we're going, I'm like, all right, what gear do I have? I mean, I have like a whole spread. My little like closet looks like REI, so I gotta like pull all this stuff. Which one do I want? I'm like, I have 10 packs to pick from. Okay, which one will fit these means best, you know, and different things with where we're going. It's gonna be like raining all week, and so I'm like, sweet, I get to bring my rain gear too, and like all that kind of stuff. So maybe this proverb stands out because it re- refers to, in, in some ways, uh, just the preparation. As I look at this, I, I think this proverb best uh, connects with an array of life challenges. It could be family dynamics, it can be work, it can be society. In fact, it's a little bit, I'm I'm referring to this proverb a little more like a Swiss army knife. The language right out of the gate describes the value of preparation and then how God will carry through and get the glory in the victory. I mean, the the language there is quite clear, just the, 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 what this stands out for. But let me challenge us this morning to see how this will teach us about ourselves and also human nature regarding stress, anxiety, and worry, regarding control in uncertainty uh, versus trusting God, regarding joy in life when life is a dumpster fire around you, regarding purpose in a society that is humanistic, nihilistic, and hedonistic, and also the importance, as I mentioned, preparation and diligence. And so uh, th- this, this proverb teaches us through this. Now, I, I, th- this has stood out to me in a certain way because about 10 years ago, when I was first getting into ministry, actually it was 10 years ago I moved to Charlottesville, so maybe it was around then or so. I, I didn't dig up the article because I didn't really care. It kind of stuck out to me so much, I just remember this. This article I read was entitled something along the lines of Why a Pastor Can Sleep at Night. And the premise was ministry is super taxing and difficult and there's, there's heartaches with celebrations, there's demands and there's um, all sorts of things. And why is it that a pastor can still like get rest, literal sleep at night and not just be up throughout the night with the um, anxiety of um, church and everybody's challenges that we come together. And the, the big challenge in the article was describing that, well, we trust God. So you work well, you work hard, and then you sleep well, remembering that God is gonna carry things through. Well, for years, I've just kind of clung to that. It's really helped me a lot. Uh, I sleep well, generally speaking. And yet, as I've, as I've spent more time with uh, you all, as I have grown, just even growing up, you realize that that principle applies all over the place. It's not just limited as like a pastor and ministry at all. I would say that we can all sleep well at night remembering who God is, remembering the victory of the Lord. And so I wanna, I wanna walk us through this proverb to, to even give us a secondary idea of this. Like we can sleep at night because we trust in the victory of the Lord. So as we look at Proverbs 21, It's a little bit of a multi-tool. It touches on several different areas. Maybe for you it'll be all of them, but maybe just one of these. 
And let's talk through it. So Proverbs 21, I already read that. Listen to some of these other Proverbs. One of these, uh, Neil just read a moment ago. So Proverbs 16.9 is a parallel proverb. It says, the, the heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Another one is this. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. And then there's a psalm that parallels this too. Psalm 20, verse seven. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And then I also wanna read for you a lengthier passage in Jeremiah 17. It says this. This is what the Lord says. Cursed are those who put their trust in mere humans, who rely on human strength and turn, turn their hearts away from the Lord. They are like stunted shrubs in the desert with no hope for the future. They will live in the barren wilderness in an, unha- in an uninhabited, salty land. But blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. Have you done that? They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by the long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. Okay, so back to this proverb, 21, 31. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. I think that this, when you go deeper than just the value of preparation and the diligence of that, there tends to be a question of, do you trust the victory of the Lord? Can you actually lean on the victory of the Lord and believe it will come through? Where does your trust lie? Is it in the horse or is it in the Lord? Is it in the battle plan or is it in the Lord? Is it in yourself and your own abilities or is it in the Lord? Let me describe for you several different areas where this can apply and maybe one of these will resonate with you. One would be in the area of parenting. So this is trusting the Lord with the results of faithful parenting and remaining optimistic despite the challenges, for instance, living in a very evil or uh, a corrupt society. We remember that Jesus reigns. And so you can parent and trust the results to the Lord. One could be marriage. This is doing your part and loving your spouse faithfully and then again trusting God to produce a healthy marriage and allowing the Holy Spirit to do his work, sanctifying you, sanctifying your spouse. This could be in the area of school, doing your best to prepare for a test or to get into a certain college. You apply, you do your side, and then you trust God with the outcome. This proverb also applies to work. You prepare and you do all that you can and then you trust the Lord to bring about success and peace and strength when you are tired and whatever else that you might be considering a victory right now in your workplace. One could be personal finances. There is preparation. There is diligence on our side. You can't just like blindly you know, throw money at everything and waste, waste your funds but there is deep trust in the Lord in our planning. For several of you, you run your own business. This is doing your best to honor the Lord, staying ethical, not giving into shady stuff like the other similar businesses around you, 
And then you praise God for the good outcome, not your own wit. Why? Because it's God who brings about victory, not yourself. This applies to church, not just for somebody like in my role, but all of us. We share our faith, and then we trust God with the response of others. You can't force people to believe, but you can do your part. Even for us right now, we raise, we're raising the funds for the barn, and then we are trusting that we will get it. But we can't, like, you know, force that. We're trusting. I would say this applies even in politics, trusting that the Lord is sovereign. He is on the throne despite who is or who is not elected and what occurs in our nation's capital or any nation, actually. And so we can prepare. You can be diligent, but then you still trust God for the victory that comes. This can be with world events as well. You can sleep at night knowing that God is actively reigning and he will show his victory. Often that happens now, but ultimately that will happen one day. And then we, we just sang a song that reminded me of this too. There, there, is, there is this proverb applicable in even death. We sang that phrase, no fear in death. We can trust after living a full, faithful life as long as God has us having days, and then there's no fear in death because God is the one that brings victory. He is the one who has the battle cry. In each of these, where does your trust lie? Is it in the preparation that you've done or is it in God? Is it in the battle plan? Is it in the horse? Is it in yourself? Is it in your own strength? Or is it God? I think about David's words to Goliath. It says this in 1 Samuel 17, 45. David said to the Philistine, hey, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. So where does your trust lie? And not only where does your trust lie, but whose glory are you aiming for? Your glory or God's? When God gets the victory, he gets the glory, and he is jealous for his glory. The psalmist understood this in Psalm chapter 3, verse 3. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me. You're my glory and the lifter of my head. It's essential that we as God's people are fierce to yield our battle plan to God, our trust to God, our victory to God. We want God to shine the brightest that he can, and he must strive for his name and his exaltation to be the praise of our lips. Isaiah 42, 8 says this, I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. So as God's people, let's joyfully and happily and fiercely want our God to get the to get the victory and the glory. And then when we are asked about it by our kids or grandkids or neighbors about the accomplishment that has occurred, how did this happen? And it could be in any of these areas, with your parenting, with your marriage, with business, with school, with church, with finances, with, I don't know, even um, peace in death. How is it that this is possible? And you say, well, because of God. The victory belongs to God and God alone. You say it was all God. Sometimes we say if it wasn't for God, this never would have happened. You don't say, well, I did 50 and God did the other 50. Right? No, no, no. God carried it through. 
His grace was present every moment. So friends, where does your trust lie? After all the prep and the planning, are you ready to yield the victory, whatever that victory might be? I don't think any of us are like going into a uh, physical battle. Uh, some of you are like, you're not going to my house after church. Yeah, I get it. Um, I mean, it's really intense with some families um, right now. But whatever we would consider a victory, what are you seeking the Lord for victory? I've got about three or four in my own life right now. And if he doesn't come through, I don't really know what's gonna happen, so we'll see. Why is it that we can trust God? Well, let me give you a few ways that I've been able to take this proverb and then sync it with other solid theological truths that help me to say this is why I can trust that God will win and carry us through. One of these is remembering who God is. I use the names or the titles for God to remember who he is to give me confidence that he is the one that I can trust with the battle and he is the one that will bring about victory. So I've got four for you, four titles or names. One is the name Elroy. Um, R-O-I, Elroy is the God who sees. And so in Genesis chapter 16, you have um, Abram and Sarai. They are, um, they're pretty mean to Hagar. Sarai, she, she uh, pushes Hagar out and she's pregnant. So she runs out in the desert and she's just kind of at a loss. And the angel of the Lord meets Hagar and uh, gives her a promise that her, um, in her pregnancy that this baby uh, will be named Ishmael and will bring about many descendants, although those descendants will war against uh, uh, what will be Abraham's son Isaac, right? Well, in verse 13, Hagar cries out, you are the God who sees me. And this name, despite the fact that this, that this moment in biblical history is kind of a unique one to bring into this this uh, moment because of Hagar. It's a pretty uncomfortable topic. Here she is a concubine. We don't practice that or advocate for that. And then her own son is Ishmael. And it's like, it's a whole mess as a family and a lot of drama. But we are still reminded that God sees us in the struggles. He meets us there. He sustains us. He refocuses our attention on his heavenly purposes. And we can find ourselves crying out, you are Elroy. You are the God who sees me in this struggle in the way that you met Hagar. I have been there. I wanna presume that all of you have to some degree as well. So one is we can trust God with the battle because he sees us. Secondly, we can trust him because he is sovereign. I don't have a specific name for him. I wanna use the concept of God's sovereignty. Job 42.2 describes this well. Job is kind of a champion at describing the sovereignty of God in the midst of struggle. He says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Friends, we remember God's sovereignty as we look at our life's celebrations, saying God did this and also life's struggles. I like John Calvin's quote on this. He said, it is a most blessed thing to be subject to the sovereignty of God. And there's, there's a wonderful, uh, profound depth to resting in the sovereign goodness, um, love, and presence of our God. He has the plans under control. And whatever happens, it is for his good and glory, and it's also for our good. Another title or description for 
God that helps me as I think about this is that he is our divine warrior. I love this description of God I have for many years. Story upon story describes that God is the supreme conqueror for his people. We see this in all these Old Testament stories that the kids are always like learning and you're like, wow, that's an awesome story. There's also some like, you know, R-rated material to that that you're not aware of because you're five. But nonetheless, that is a brutal story of God's conquering for his people. We also see this with the cross and with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is the ultimate conqueror. And we also read about this one day with Jesus' victorious return, which I'll get to in a second. Isaiah 49 says it this way. In verse 25, the second half, and then verse 26. I will contend with those who contend with you, and your children I will save. I will make your oppressors eat their own flesh. They will be drunk on their own blood as with wine. Then all mankind will know that I, the Lord, am your savior, your redeemer, the mighty one of Jacob. Because our God is a good and loving divine warrior, we can trust his ability to defend and also his ability to respond with pure motives, those that are loving and they care for us. All right, so we've got El Roy, we've got that he is sovereign, we've got divine warrior, and one more for you that just resonates as I think about this, and that is that Jesus is the Lion of Judah. Revelation 5.5 says this, Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. After preparing our horse for battle, we can trust that the Lord will bring victory because he is the Lion of Judah. You might find yourself struggling to trust that, but we can recognize that in these passages, particularly in Revelation, they help us to uh, remember that he is the one, as Revelation 19 says, who is named faithful and true. He's the one that rides on the white horse. He's the one with the armies of heaven following him. He is the one named the word of God that strikes the death blow to the nations. I, I love this picture we have from our Revelation series years ago. Uh, Victorious, I believe we have it. I'm gonna look at it because I always like seeing this. Jason did such a good job with that when we did Revelation years back. And we did that during COVID, which was like that COVID year, 2020. It was like extra, extra crazy. <laughs> Doing Revelation whenever there's like a pandemic going around. But I love that series uh, and I love that picture. It portrays well our Savior, the one who is the Lion of Judah, right? Our God fights for his people and one day his final victory, it will be on display. And so we can trust God as we remember his characteristics, as we remember his role that he plays. But I wanna address one more element to this topic, and that is this question. Maybe some of you are asking this. I have asked this many times. What if I am tired of preparing the horse for battle? Right, whatever your symbolic horse is right now could be, and I'll just go through some of those categories I mentioned. It definitely could be something in your marriage. You're just tired. You're tired day after day of the battle. It could be with parenting. depending on what's going on with your children. Could definitely be work. It could be with school. I hear this all the time. Whatever it may be, are you tired of preparing the horse for battle? That work that is involved, the sweat and the strategy and even the prayer and fasting involved? 
with doing our side of this? What if you're tired of that work and the monotony and possibly even the lack of results or at least the appearance of the lack of results? What should you do? Well, if you are there, let me equip you for a moment. I've got, I've got a few steps. One, I encourage you to pray. I encourage you to pray to God about this, asking God to give you zeal again to prepare that horse for battle. The enemy makes us feel shame for losing our zeal. He tells us that we don't have what it takes. We aren't like those other Christians in the room at Legacy. We're weak and we can't do it. Well, I have learned that when we confess our lack of love to God, then he begins to shine light on the unhealth of our spiritual heart. It's as if God uses our honesty to begin a healing process. And rather than hiding it from God, the way Adam and Eve hid in the garden, you admit it to God. You admit that you have a problem. And then he gives you grace to stand up and begin walking again. And then you get to learn that profound truth that he is not only the founder of your faith, but he's the perfecter of it. He meets us in those moments and he carries us through. It is his grace that we, um, is by his grace that we are saved. But also let's remember, and this is probably what a lot of people forget, like Protestants forget, and it's that by his grace we also grow in our faith. So he is the one, he is the source and the agent behind our salvation as well as our sanctification and being made more and more into Christ's image. So the first thing is to pray, just be honest to God. Secondly is to read. I wanna encourage you, if this is you, read a story in the scripture, specifically one of the gospel accounts. This is my go-to step. It's not, it's not, a, um, it's not a secret like, uh, secret sauce or something to, to like feeling spiritually unhealthy, but it is, a, it is definitely what you wanna do. You wanna read one of the gospel accounts, read a story about Jesus. Let the love of Jesus, his life, his ministry reignite your heart. He is our savior, he is the one. When you start to work in this, you're reminded of your first love. Again, you could read anything in scripture. God moves and he speaks through anything, but... If you are in a spot where you're like, I just don't even really wanna read the Bible. I haven't, I haven't read it for myself in a long time. I'm feeling, um, I'm just feeling tired in the battle right now. Then, re- then take what little strength you got and read one of these passages in the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Number three, I think you should be honest with somebody about where you are. Could be a group leader, it could be somebody that you trust. Um, it could be uh, your spouse, a parent. Share with them where you are with this. Don't keep this to yourself. When you are authentic about your spiritual lukewarmness, breakthrough often happens. You invite other godly Christians in on your life. You start to live out the community that you talk about and that you want to have, and you allow them to... Uh, be a part of the story rather than being emotionally isolated. You let others in and they pray for you and, you, and, and they help you and sometimes this is what God uses to start to rekindle a holy enthusiasm. A fourth uh, main step for you is to sing a meaningful worship song. Dig up a song that God used to meet you in a certain moment. And just listen to it, allow for that to, the, the words and the melody, for God to just use the whole package to remind you of what is true, 
what is uh, it's like anchoring moment, a pivotal moment in your spiritual walk. I had to do that this week even. I dug up that old song by Matt Redman um, called A Heart of Worship. It's not like ancient, you know, it's like 20 years old, but it's old enough. And I just had to listen through that and allow myself to remember what is the premise of pure worship to the Lord. Setting aside all the, uh, the other things that you can incorporate, there's nothing more pure than just singing a song to God, you and your own heart, even if you can't hold a tune, you know, and just start to sing. So those are four steps for you, and I have a fifth one. This is a bonus. This is a little bit more like a trick. Uh, it's not like on the list, but I think you should consider this, and this is doing something hard for the Lord. Doing something difficult tends to kickstart your apathy. I see this time and time again in my own life and others. So you share your faith, for instance, when you do that, that starts to light a fire. You experience God working through you and you get to watch somebody else respond and then you remember, yes, this is part of the essence of my faith. This, my faith. this is what I'm here for. I'm here to be a messenger of the good news. Another way, another hard thing or difficult thing you could do uh, could be to serve your neighbor in a way that's sacrificial. Uh, maybe it's mowing their grass when it's 90 degrees outside and you got a camelback on or something. Maybe it's bringing them a meal. And maybe it's uh, cutting down some stuff that fell in the storm over the last week. Break out of your comfort zone, and when you do, it starts to recalibrate your zeal and your holy priorities. Maybe it's volunteering in a certain way within the church family if it's been too long and you haven't prioritized that. Whatever it is, um, <clears throat> that might be... Um, just think of the stuff that is uh, substantially easier to make an excuse to do uh, rather than doing it. When you start to do those tough things for the Lord, it's like preparing your horse for battle and then watching him bring the victory. It can be electrifying to have him work through you in a difficult way, and it tends to kickstart some stuff. So let me just read those real quick because I didn't have them on the screen. So you want to pray? Read uh, a story in the gospel accounts, be honest with someone else, sing a meaningful worship song, and then do something hard for the Lord. I mean, this, this isn't rocket science, friends. And like you walk through this and you start to allow yourself to re-experience the value and the importance and the joy and the purpose behind preparing that horse for battle. So let me ask you this. What, what, are, uh, what area in your life are you struggling to have that peace or that joy, or that purpose, or that rest, right? Why might you lose sleep tonight due to worry, or anxiety, or panic? What responsibilities and opportunities do you find yourself trying to control the outcome when God is the one that needs to control that, and you just have to kind of do your part? Where do you need to diligently prepare, but then leave the results to God? Is there something in your mind or in your heart that's, that's present? Again, I have a few. Well, Proverbs 21, 31, let me reread this for us. Uh, Maddie, you and the team can come forward here to lead us in the final song. It says, the horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. As we conclude with this last song, I wanna invite uh, our prayer team to, um, to be accessible uh, and, um, and just to kind of be around the room 
not just necessarily up here, but a couple people here, some around the room, some in the back, and to be available to pray. Maybe somebody here in, in the church family says, listen, I, I am in a spot where I need to be honest with somebody about my spiritual apathy, and I'm, I need the ministry of prayer right now. Uh, maybe others of you are saying, I, I've just really struggled to find the purpose or the peace, or there's something plaguing my heart, and I'm literally losing sleep. It's just that um, uh, the, the, the emotional is affecting the, you know, the physical. If that's you, we wanna pray for you. We wanna take this to the Lord. We don't wanna just hear this information and then you know, jump in our cars and drive home. So let's, let's serve one another, care for one another here as we conclude in this last song. Would you stand with me? As